0: This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the very charming Simon Belanger. Today is August 15th, and it's been a while. Uh, it has been a full couple episodes since you've, since you and I have been on the mics here. So, uh, you know, we talk so much that bro, I like full bromance in effect. I miss you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. It's been a while. Yeah. I miss you too. Um, I hope you're feeling better and everything's good now. Yeah. I'm good now. We're all, we're
0: all good. Okay. So we're doing, uh, earnings today. You have... Some CPI, we're still, still talking inflation, still important, but things, things are changing. And then we're going to talk about individual companies. Uh, we got lots of notes here, so let's see how far oh, we yeah. go through them.
1: There was uh, so much to go over. I actually had, I had notes that I had done in advance when we couldn't record, and I had to place those notes. I like, I had to remove them because some more. Recent and important stuff, in my view, came up, so I want to make sure we have a, some good content for the listeners. Now, like you said, July 2023, Canadian CPI came out this morning as we're recording on Tuesday. Headline CPI came in higher than expected at 33 Economists were predicting that it would be close to 3%. Core CPI, which is the measure that's uh, most followed by the Bank of Canada. So those three metrics were slightly down while one was flat. So it's remaining pretty sticky there. Month over month increase accelerated for the headline CPI to 0.6%, which is this one, you have to take note of it because an annualized, it's 7.2%. So that's definitely, that's a big increase compared from May to June, June to July. Um, so I think this is one that uh, we have to keep an eye on. Food remained elevated at 7.8% year over year and 0.4% month over month. Shelter costs accelerated once more to 2%. Uh, To 5.1% compared to 4.8% in June. Energy costs was down 8.2%, and gasoline was down 12.9% year over year, but they both increase on a month over month basis. And we're really starting to see the energy and gas. If base effects slowing down they're actually probably the base effects are going to start now going the other way around where prices were at a very low level going forward you know the more forward we get into the end of this year and next year and then it will Have the risk of having the opposite impact. So it was kind of pulling the headline number down. Now it will most likely just, you know, without making a a bad joke, but pour fuel on it and potentially kind of increase headline CPI. And the last thing here, I haven't talked much about this one, but mortgage interest costs rose to thirty point six percent year over year. Sorry, rose thirty point six percent year over year and one and was one of the top contributors to inflation. And this will definitely, I'm sure, win on the Bank of Canada next decision in September. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of conflicting data coming up. So, and I will talk about that when we talk about Canadian Tire, what they had to say. Um, there's a lot of, you know, on the one hand, inflation seems to be picking back up. But on the other hand, you're seeing the softening demand of the overall economy so these two things are starting to butt head and making it really difficult for central banks or uh, you know good old tiff here in canada
0: yeah and i think it's interesting what you're going to talk about next and it's funny how my brain works where i see this data you know we get it so often and in my mind i don't really pay attention that closely but contrarily In your next segment, when an individual company, which is very close to this with their business, my ears perk up very intently. Um, And maybe that's just the way I think. Maybe it's just like I'm more focused on individual companies versus the broader macro. I'm not sure. Maybe it's more so that hearing it come from management teams. I trust a little bit more um, than, uh, you know, the, the talking heads. So let's get to that. But before that, every year there is a overplayed saying that is used everywhere in financial news. Now it is soft landing or just a landing in general right like this as
1: as you, as you go Ugh. <laughs> yeah the landings looking rougher and rougher yeah, though, yeah 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 like
0: how much turbulence is on this landing like we're coming in a, a, into a snowstorm here but every year there's this buzzword remember like right when we were kind of starting this podcast and into 2020 we're heading into unprecedented times um <laughs> What was the? There was another one for twenty one. Uh, well, there was the inflation one, uh, hmm. and then there was the supply chains one. Oh yeah,
1: supply I'm chain talk- issues. Yeah.
0: Supply chain issues. I'm just there's all these different eras of buzzwords that you hear from economists and on conference calls, and worst of all from the questions from analysts on the conference calls. And I just feel like this landing one is the new one and it's, it's uh, it's getting a little played out.
1: No, I, I totally agree. And this one, I mean, I think we have to take note of what Canadian tire had to say and also put some additional context because it wasn't just Canadian tire. There's a couple other businesses that I recently reported. I won't go over the earnings. I'll just give a quick, quick overview just to finish that up. Now, it was Canadian Tire, for whether people like them or not as a business, um, I think most people can agree in Canada. It's a quite a good bellwether stock for Canadian retail specifically. They have all kinds of items from discretionary to non-discretionary. And they also have a really big financial segment. A lot of people don't realize that with their credit card. And that allows them to get some value. Also, valuable- not
0: to mention, it's, it's not just the Canadian Tire Brand. They have no, exactly. other brands underneath there, uh, yeah. namely you know Sport uh, uh Haley Hansen's
1: and the other one. There's uh, Party I think Mark's, City, Marks Warehouse. Yeah, Mark's Party Warehouse. Party. Warehouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So it's it's worth pointing out too that they have a, a, a greater pulse on the economy than just the retail brand of Canadian Tire. And you just mentioned also the fintech
1: arm of it as well, or. or Maybe that's a credit card (laughs) business, I would say. Yeah, Yeah. the financial business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and they can get some really valuable data. And just to add to what you just said is the credit card business also gives them insight on what you know card holders are spending as a whole because people can use those credit cards outside of Canadian Tire stores right so they can get some really valuable data and for context they have uh, more than four million cards in total that have been issues and more than two million of those have a balance on it so whether you know it's a small or big balance that doesn't really matter here but just to give some context like it's not a you know a nothing burger it is some meaningful data that they have and they they are starting to see some definitely some trends and that's why you know their quarter, the recent release, the Q2 release, um, you know, I think it's worth paying attention. And one of the things that they said is that, and I quote, Canadian consumers are facing increased financial strain and facing tougher spending decisions. And that's normal where I think we are at. Uh, We've talked about the lag effects of interest rate increases. And you also have to keep in mind during the lockdowns, uh, a lot of people just saved money, right? So you didn't have that much to spend on. You know, people were fighting for certain types of good, but a lot of people were saving a lot of money. And I think you can make a case that in the past maybe six months to a year, a lot of consumers have probably been dipping into those savings. And at some point, these savings are not unlimited. And I think what Canadian Tire is starting to see is that they're starting to see the repercussions of that. Now, their Canadian tire card holders had a flat spend in Q1, but in Q2, they saw a decline in spend. Home, gas, electronics, and clothing are all declining. Travel, dining, and grocery experience lower growth rate as a quarter progress, and... That's important because a lot of people are saying that, oh, Air Canada is still doing fine, but even Air Canada, there are some metrics where you have to keep an eye on, and for them, they are seeing, look, it's still growing, but it's not growing as quickly. Uh, the slowdown in spend was even more noticeable they said after the bank of canada unpaused and raised rates in june they even went and said that the trend accelerated at the end of the quarter which is clearly not good and i think it's a big reason why the stock is down about 15 percent since the earnings release they said non-discretionary spend Went up to six. Went up six percent at their Canadian Tire stores, while discretionary spend was down three percent. So non-discretionary is basically essentials. So that is up, and clearly they're seeing that people are focusing more of their money on what they actually need um, and the essentials. Overall revenues were down three point four percent. Earnings per share was down twenty eight percent to a dollar seventy six. And they pulled their guidance, so they call it Financial Aspirations. It was set out in March of 2022 during their investor date, and it was supposed to cover a period between 2022 and 2025, so they pulled that out. Uh, before I go on, any things you want to add there? Have you been hanging out with Mr. Daniel Fauch too much? You, uh,
0: <laughs> your sentiment is, uh, is more bearish. You've been hanging
1: out with Daniel too much, I've been think, Yeah, I've been pod. chatting. He's with been Dan taking too. my spot too many times here. <laughs> I mean, He's been I'm sitting not in sure. this chair. Yeah. I should have started, and I uh, should have said, like, I hope you're bringing the positivity because <laughs> I'll bring the, the bearishness to this. Uh, but no, obviously, I'm just kind of reporting right what's what yeah. they said. Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, no, and w- if it's a one-off, it's a one-off. But like, I'll finish, and it's not a one-off. I'll just say that. <laughs> Now, one of the key metrics for Canadian Tire, to, for those to keep an eye on, is the past due credit card receivable. These are balances that are 30 plus day past due. Um, those rose 35% year over year to 210 million and represent 3.29% of total loans an increase of 70 basis point compared to last year it is flat quarter versus quarter if we look at q1 of 2023 but um, it's something definitely if you're interested in the business for example if you think they're just going to be more short-term headwinds something you still would have to keep a close eye on because that could cause problem for them down the line and What's really important here is if people remember, Canadian National Rail also saw a drop in consumer good freight, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And I, like I mentioned, I don't want to be too pessimistic here, but if you add in cargo jet, Who recently released their earnings they mentioned that demand was weaker than expected in their latest quarter they saw a decline in overall revenue air canada cargo same thing they saw a decline or lower than expected sales for air canada cargo so you're starting to see a lot of the same data coming out for at least companies that are very closely tied to retail. And there was also a report from RBC that came out about five days, five, six days ago, which I'll had a link to the show notes. And they essentially mentioned the same thing and also mentioned that overall spend on restaurant. Although it's going up, uh, it's because the higher price and not the amount of visits by consumers. And they also said that it seems like travel has actually peaked and seems to be uh, definitely slowing down a little bit, which kind of lines up with what uh, Canadian Tire said as well. Travel,
0: I mean, that makes sense. It's so much like pulled forward, catch up demand. Um, But I, I still like the outlook on it long term. These no, no, are all
1: com- not to depress now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, these are all really useful signals that, like I said, when it's coming from an individual company, both in their financials, in their specific KPIs, in their transcripts from the earnings calls, and in their guidance, I listen. And so this this data I find extremely interesting, especially one like something like Canadian Tire. Like you, you know, they have a good kind of consumer pulse, but they also have a great pulse. Because of their financials division, uh, CNR, uh, Air Canada, Cargo Jet, like just wonderful signals for the economy that I think are actually more profound than broad macro data. So thank you for bringing this up. And now one thing that I'd like to also talk about here is it's OK to be cautiously optimistic or bearish in the short term, but remain Cautiously optimistic for the long term. And, and because I think that it's don't hear what Simon's not saying, because, you know, he is investing very actively for the long term. I was at an event the other day and there were a lot of people very concerned about the short term of the economy and understandably so. And they said, "Yeah, I'm not putting any money to work right now. I, you know, I think the market's gonna crash. Blah 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 blah. Like just like you can see me kind of like
1: yeah, to- you like, like tuning just a out. second. Let <laughs> me call the, Dan or Simon. They'll, yeah, they'll talk yeah, to you. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm like tuning out. I'm like become like Homer Simpson, like fading <laughs> into the bush. Like I'm like I don't care. And and these people that are saying this, I'm like, dude, you're 26. You're gonna be investing for the next like 50 years." What do you mean you're bearish short term on the economy? That's okay. But you're giving up your dollar cost average strategy because you think that the short term has reasons to be cautious? That is crazy talk. That is crazy talk to me. Um, and so I just want to kind of like yin and yeah. yang that discussion a little
1: yeah, bit. Yeah. And even these, even if we enter, let's say we enter a recession, let's say like, it's, you know, a decent recession. It's not barely one. It's not a, you know, a depression, but it's, you know, uh, it well, it would definitely Weaker consumer. Th- yeah, yeah, Exactly. I mean, it can still provide some wonderful opportunities to invest in businesses. And I think that's what people have to remember. However, you also have to make sure, you know, the business is in good financial situation. Um, if they are impacted short to medium term, they are able to survive and thrive after the headwinds are done. Um, And some businesses will just, you won't miss a beat too. So you just have to be very careful because we saw in 2021, for example, or in 2020, I mean, you could, you know... You could basically put money in, uh, in I was going to use a I <laughs> I was going to swear, <laughs> but I won't. Phase but drive? You, <laughs> phase drive or basically anything, right? You could put money into anything and you'd make a profit. And we're in a very different situation. And I think it, it will create some opportunities, but there are also going to be some pitfalls. And you have to make sure you have conviction, you understand the business as well. And if you're overwhelmed by that, then consider maybe an index fund because then it'll give you some broad exposure, uh, it will automatically diversify you and you can rest well at night without worrying about, you know, individual holdings that you have. Yeah. And and look, like
0: being uninvested because being cautious on the short term is mathematically a gigantic mistake if you're a long term investor, because you need to be invested in the days that have huge wins, uh, m- market days that perform really well. Look at the math. I'll, maybe I'll do a segment on that. Like, you know, what happens if you're uninvested in like the best five days of the year is like a negative return. Like the, the market could be up like 15% year to date and you were uninvested during the five best days of the year, you could have a negative return. And so okay. that's really important to, 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 to mention because let's talk about, you know, the guys who remain unmentioned at the conference I was at two weeks ago, bearish selling stocks, 20 years old, bearish, whatever. Okay. Uh, the S and P since then is up ten percent, and that was only a month and a half ago. <laughs> like year to date, the S and P is up se- almost seventeen percent. Um, what about the the T S X Composite year to date? Okay, up three. So massively, kind of trailing that big tech uh
1: allocation give, give it six if you include dividends or something yeah at total the,
0: returns. yeah let's include the the total yield on um on the divvies from oil
1: and banking but
0: you see where i'm getting at
1: right oh like, yeah and i think too right now i i think you know there's some really good opportunities for people too if you don't want to be a hundred percent invested i mean it, it's not an all or nothing right you can be if you you're more comfortable keeping a little bit of cash on the sideline or a bit more i mean at least it's yielding something more than the official cpi print so you're getting real returns right. on cash and if you want to have that and pounce on opportunities so you can't say you know going back two three four years where you could park money in cash well you'd be losing on it right right now you're gaining a little bit probably not that much and depends what your cost of living is at the end of the day but you do have different options that are available to you and doesn't have to be an all or nothing you know you can keep 10% in cash if you prefer to have that dry powder to be ready to invest I mean you're getting five five and a half percent on your cash right now if you you place in the right places. Something you said on your last segment, which is some companies will survive and
0: thrive. And those are two characteristics that come to mind of the company I'm going to talk about right now, which is WSP Global. So here is a Canadian stock that I bought in roughly 2018, uh, mid-2018, and has performed incredibly and is performing incredibly today. The business is doing exceptionally well. I I feel like I talk about it a decent amount on the podcast, but really not probably enough given this is a fairly large position for me. And I haven't been adding more, but it's because it just keeps performing, right? And that's that's the old paradox that investors always have. So WSP is a uh, global engineering firm, but they are based in Canada and trade just exclusively on the TSX. Their main five business segments are transportation and infrastructure property and buildings earth and environment power and energy and industry revenue and so you can see they're very diversified in their services and what they do the largest segments are around like property buildings infrastructure and earth environment so very like very typical civil engineering firm they've historically grown around mid single digits organically But they do a lot of M&A. They do tons of acquisitions on a global basis, uh, North America, Europe, Asia, all over the place. And they've done a really good job of rolling up these services in this very highly fragmented world of engineering. So in their latest quarter, they had a nice uh, 9.3% organic growth number. Their service backlog grew twenty five percent. This this is you know, work to be done uh, that they're th- that they're uh, going to be billing in the future. That is a whopping fourteen point three billion in backlog. Total revenue grew twenty eight point seven percent. So nearly thirty percent on the top line being sustained, which is like he keeps accelerating a little bit. And 31.5% growth in operating income. So margins are expanding, uh, growing extremely fast, 9.3% organic growth. These are like, you know, best in class numbers for this business, which is, you know, later in its maturity stages. So that's pretty interesting. Um, Some acquisitions are really paying off with some key players in the earth and environment segment. I remember last year they bought Wood, which is a very well-known environmental consulting firm. The year before that, they bought Golder, which is probably the de facto uh, engineering uh for earth and environment um in, in North America at least engineering firm. I think that was they bought that for two or three billion at the time. And I have graft here, which you have on the screen here for the wonderful people watching on jointci.com. The two segments of public sector versus private sector revenue, you can see how much they're, well, both of them have grown at a you know double-digit clip, but look at the private sector revs really grow now for the first time above the public sector. So public sector being jobs for government and private sector being winning jobs for Uh, For businesses. And so that's been a huge, huge growth engine for them over the past five-ish, six-ish years, uh, and primarily due to acquisition. Uh, This stock's also doing well because they increased guidance. So they're raising guidance on revenue, EBITDA, and organic growth for the end of the year. So uh, survive and thrive, uh, you know, uh, among tough tough consumer env- environment the built environment has still lots of uh lots of legs here
1: yeah no i think wsp is uh i wish i would have uh, invested in it when you did <laughs> i just say that. but <laughs> right, it's because interesting. you and i have been yeah.
0: at the, especially at the time when we started this podcast you mm-hmm. got you and i were extremely bullish on infrastructure in general especially with such yeah. low rates at the time and you know <laughs> I didn't foresee them you know raising really um you know so bullish on the, the the Brookfield infrastructure the asset management business and then here's this TSX only listed leader in infrastructure services in the world um one of the largest engineering firms in the entire world uh now they're bigger than AECOM
1: so yeah is there and is there bigger is there a bigger civil well they they, they probably need this? to uh uh, give an assist to and lavalin who shot themselves in the Dropped foot years the ball, ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> they had, uh, I would say they had the leadership position maybe a decade ago and then they just fumbled. Especially uh, in energy yeah. and power, especially yeah. there. Yes. They they were everywhere, and then all those scandals (laughs) happened, and they're just a shell of themselves. I haven't looked at it since they've in quite some time, to be honest. And uh, I mean, they're
0: lucky that they have such tight ties with the Canadian deuterium uranium technology, which is Canadian uh, nuclear power technology. Okay, like they have like actual
1: patents on like Canadian reactors. They actually uh, perform quite well. (laughs) In the Has it been a bit year. of a
0: turnaround?
1: Yeah, yeah, and definitely. I mean, it's gone up and down, but uh, if you look one year out, I mean, it's almost uh, like not quite 50%. double, but pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had, oh, they were going sideways stock stock for a long time. Is,
0: that stock chart is so yeah, disastrous. It, it,
1: oh my I god! Are, <laughs> let me spell. Yeah, and I will be clear. <laughs> the last year, if you zoom out more, it's uh, it's a bit more of a roller coaster. Yeah, uh,
0: no, they're lucky because they have uh, deep ties with with nuclear, and so they have you know kind of a base backlog backlog that's like pretty hard to disrupt. But yeah, so here's W. Hey, it's not too late to get on the train. I think it's actually pretty fairly valued here today.
1: Yeah. Now we'll move on to a non-business or non-earnings update. So it's pretty big news. Did you hear about that? PayPal launching a stable coin called PY P- or Pi usd as a lot of people call it
0: yeah i saw that i i heard people chattering about this uh, and more so transcripts from the earnings call about this but I, i'm a complete noob here so you you let me know
1: yeah i know it'll be quick so last week news came out that paypal was launching its own stable coin um it's i would say it's the first kind of major company to launch one since facebook had their libra or whatever what was it i think it was libra yeah, right Libra. Yep. And that that got canon. Libra originally was supposed to be tied to a basket of currencies. So it wasn't just a stable coin with the U.S. dollar, which is the case here. And a stable coin is essentially just a cryptocurrency that's tied to value a of a fiat currency. So either, you know, Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar. I mean, there's not really, I, I think there's some small, very, uh, you know, Unknown Canadian ones, uh, but the main ones are USD, uh, in US dollars. So they're stable coin. Uh, people may have heard of USDT or USDC, for example. So the stable coin will be fully reserved by using bank deposits, short-term treasury, and other liquid cash instruments. At least at the beginning, it will only be available to US customers. It's a token that is based on the Ethereum blockchain. It's based on ERC-20, which means that it will be compatible with the Ethereum ecosystem from the start. Customers will be able to transfer it from PayPal to Ethereum wallets person to person, will be able to convert to other crypto on PayPal's platform and will be redeemable on a one-to-one basis with the US dollar. It will be incorporated to paypal's checkout process they are partnering with paxos which provides regulated blockchain infrastructure and will be regulated in new york state they'll be issuing monthly reserve attestations and it is centralized meaning that paypal will be able to do things like revert transactions and freeze funds and what's really interesting here is that paypal has over 400 million users so I think clearly at the beginning, I think it may take some time where users really start adopting it. But, you know, if you have, you're have you looking at this and then the announcement that Bla- BlackRock is applied for a Bitcoin ETF a few months ago, um, it's hard not to uh, have uh, my little tinfoil hat here <laughs> because you have traditional finance really coming in to the crypto space after the slew of uh, frauds, scams that were going on. You have, you know, FTX, Celsius and all the other frauds or, you know, scams that people got, uh, you know, in the actual crypto space that wasn't really well regulated. And it does give me the impression right now that, uh, you know, regulated traditional finance companies are starting to kind of swoop in and uh, try and grab that market share.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating. Maybe I'm just so lost when it comes to, you know, things being built on the Ethereum blockchain. Can you give me like that? Explain like I'm five. Maybe that might be even generous. Explain like (laughs) I'm
1: three, like what what PayPal is doing here. Well, I mean... (sighs) I, I, it's probably as good as um, I'm not sure to be honest their, their end game here obviously the settlements will are happening extremely quickly so I think that's one of the okay. main advantage with a stable coin is you have almost instant settlement and within their platform at least uh, exchanging value so if I use their pi USD and you're a merchant and you accept that um, they were saying I believe that there's going to be zero fees on that so there is a somewhat of an incentive for uh, merchants to be accepting that and i mean it does allow them to potentially open up some other businesses in the future that would be you know whether they're interacting with other stable coins um like USDC's, uh, the biggest regulated one if you'd like yeah i think that's my best guess um i'm not sure what the end game is for them but um yeah that's as much as I can say. I'm not an expert in this field whatsoever either. So I would love to go in the technical detail. But the reason why they chose the Ethereum blockchain is because the developer base uh, is there. So right. people can talk about all these other kind of, you know, blockchains. The issue with the other blockchain is that there's not as much developers using it and familiar with. I think it's Solidity or Solicity is the language uh the coding language for ethereum so that was um their main reason for using the ethereum blockchain an underrated network effect of any technology is developer
0: ecosystem um it truly becomes a network effect because you got to know the languages which other people are using so that if there's opportunities to work on it you know the language or if you're looking for a job you're not going to go learn a language that is not in demand um and so, real deep network effects build on top of developer ecosystems. So, this is this is interesting. I guess we'll
1: just watch with our tinfoil hats that touch yeah. the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you take note and obviously PayPal also announced a new CEO. I didn't have that in my notes, but uh, I think he's from um, Intuit, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Was Anyways, the former
0: CFO or I uh, forget? I think
1: he had their, um, maybe their QuickBooks division, the small business, if I remember correctly. Anyways, I read that wasn't part okay. of my notes. So uh, sorry if we don't have <laughs> some actual names here. It was just, uh, um, yeah, it just came top of my mind. PayPal's new CEO has a big turnaround job.
0: Intuitive executive Alex Chris with two S's on the end of Chris. How exotic. Uh, very cool. All right, well, We'll watch tinfoil hat crinkling on yeah. the ceiling at the moment. <laughs> uh, Constellation software. I'm going to keep this really quick because the results are boring and beautiful as per usual. Uh, the two KPIs I'm going to focus on are, uh, you know, revenue and organic growth. And then I'm going to talk about the two acquisitions that are pending because I think these are the most important updates. So 26% top line growth. 5% organic. So you can see how much those acquisitions really contribute to their growth. I have a revenue by segment on a quarterly basis there on the on the chart that you can see there from beautifulfinchat.io. And so is that a nice looking chart, would you say? This is quarterly, by the way. That's not annual growth. That is quarterly yeah, growth.
1: Yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice little chart for sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Smooth line up and to the right. Okay. So Empower and Optimal Blue. These are two different businesses that are pending acquisitions. So Empower and Optimal Blue are two businesses that were owned by Black Knight. And ICE, Intercontinental Exchange, the owner and operator of the New York Stock Exchange and a couple other business units, are trying to buy slash merge with Black Knight, which is primarily in the loan business, like a lot of like loan origination software. And Empower and Optimal Blue are two software businesses, software as a service businesses, that sit in there. Now, a sticking point with the deal was they had to sell Empower uh, for their, you know, we're in a pretty like tough, large acquisition regime. Simon, would you agree? Like, it's pretty like every single acquisition has faced a lot of scrutiny. Is that a fair assumption?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, definitely since the uh, the Biden administration took over, it's definitely they've put increased scrutiny. And to be honest, whether you're talking about the U.S. Oh, let's just talk about the U.S. here, because they're always obviously that the most important regulatory body when it comes to that kind of stuff. They definitely, you know, both sides of the aisle can have issues with I would say big tech in general, but anti-monopolistic, anti-monopolistic, exactly. So I think, uh, yeah, not surprising to be. So they're like, okay, we'll 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 sell this business. The
0: uh, lucky buyer of it was Constellation Software because they, you know, they're they're at the table for every acquisition of, of software companies, and. Then they say, OK, the FTC basically says, you know, there's a lawsuit against this acquisition. You guys have to sell this little optimal blue loan origination software. And Constellation's like, well, we're already buying your other business. Can we buy this too? And I think it was sold for, yeah, it was sold for $1.8 billion in 2020. Constellation's buying it for 700 million, only 200 million in cash with the remaining 500 million with seller financing. So two years later, I think like 35% growth later, they're buying it for half the price and with seller financing. Seller financing is beautiful.
1: It's like a 30 year note or something ridiculous. So is the Uh, business performing as well than it was or better than it was in 2020 or? So they had a, since rate hikes, there's been less loan originations, but it's not like the
0: business has like fallen off a cliff or anything. Okay. Like the the business is expected to do, I think roughly th- 250 million in EBITDA this year. Okay. Yeah. So they're buying it for around seven times EBITDA and, and, and it was previously bought for like 25-ish, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, those numbers are just estimates because it's a private company. So, or it's a it's not private. It's a company within side of Black yeah. Knight that's not disclosed. Yeah. Uh, so they've now dropped this lawsuit. The U.S. Uh, August seventh, U.S. Federal Trade Commission uh, told the federal court it wanted to drop its lawsuit against the eleven point seven proposed acquisition of data vendor Black Knight by New York Stock Exchange owner Intercontinental Exchange, as the sides try to negotiate and close this deal. So now they're like, okay, we've done what you've said, and the FTC is saying, okay, good. Um, and so that that gives you a lot of confidence as a Constellation Software shareholder that these deals of Empower and Optimal Blue are going to close because they are dependent on the acquisition of Black Knight by ICE. Sorry if this is a little bit confusing, but um, <laughs> trying to make it as quick, I'm trying to make it as easy as I can. Uh, Here's a quote from... Dude, there's this guy. if you're if you're a consolation software shareholder, and you do not know the Tenth Man blog, it's called the Tenth Man. Just search it up on on Google. It's a Substack blog. The Tenth, like ten, the number Tenth Man. He has the best write ups on this business in the world. I am convinced of it. And he wrote something very fascinating here. I don't know what the empowered details look like, but I, my educated guess would put it at an ev to sales multiple of around one times So they they're paying one time sales to buy empower that's power for the course for large vertical market software while empower looks like a good transaction i find the optimal blue deal way more interesting from the 10,000 foot view quote it looks like constellation is taking this business at gunpoint <laughs> I just thought that was quite fascinating, and uh it's funny, right? You have this rare situation where management team is incentivized to sell this asset to make this deal go through, and constellations picking up uh picking up a great asset
1: which is probably the worst timing for them to sell that asset when you think about it because you know we you made a point where like people anyone you don't have to be in the mortgage industry to know, and the U.S. is the same, you know, origination and anything related mortgage is way down compared right now, compared to 2020 and compared to 2021 and probably even compared to 2022. So obviously you're not going to be able to get a premium on the business. And then you add that any potential buyer that would need financing to buy this, they're looking at higher financing costs if they need financing from financial institutions. So it's kind of the Perfect storm for the constellation side, but a bit of a head scratcher for the sellers because they are, you know, it's the it's kind of the a worst. distressed seller. Yeah, exactly. It's almost a worse environment to be selling that kind of asset, and you know maybe that part of the business won't do super well in the next year or two. But at some point, rates will go down, and mortgages will pick back up, and then Constellation will look like they made. And it's still a, a business,
0: so it's a subscription yeah. business, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like their cash flows fall off a cliff just because there's no. less loans. I'm sure it'll
1: be impacted a bit, but yeah, right. like you said, but it'll probably term, pick yeah. way back up in the future.
0: Yeah. Super funny, uh, you have like, it's the same with anything, right? You have this, dis- I wouldn't call them a distress seller, but they're like a forced seller, and that's your opportunity, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, that leads us to my next uh, earnings here, at Brookfield Infrastructure Par- Partners that, uh, release their Q2 earnings, and you know they have said similar things in the past few quarters, where um, they have this recycle uh, capital recycle program, where they essentially take assets that are more mature that they optimize, um, that they don't necessarily see long term as part of their asset mix, and they'll sell them, use the proceeds to buy something else that they find undervalued, and then they kind of do that over and over again and one thing that they've been mentioning over the last few quarters is that um, there's still strong demand for their asset but it is taking a bit longer to close deals because of higher uh, financing costs and less potential buyers so i think it's something to to keep note now the stock was down close to five percent after the earnings release Uh, not sure why because overall i thought the quarter was pretty good to be honest Um, Funds from operation was up 8% for the quarter, in part because of acquisitions that were completed, organic growth, and tariff increases due to inflation indexation. And that's what's really fantastic about... Brookfield's business and that's why it's one of my largest holdings BIP specifically because I just love their infrastructure portfolio and how they are able to uh, essentially increase their rates with indexation based on inflation so utilities FFO was up 19% to 224 million organic growth of 10% and of course the rest was because of indexation transport FFO was flat at 200 million while 199 Excluding their divestitures, FFO was up 5%. Midstream was down 5.2%, $261 161 million. That was in part due to delays of one of their large complexes that will be coming online in Alberta and slightly softer demand. Midstream would be pipelines, for example. So when they bought Interpipeline, that's a big chunk of their mid- midstream portfolio now. And data centers were up 20% in terms of FFO to $72 million. They had two recent acquisitions that helped them pull those uh, results upwards. And they've exceeded their annual deployment target and capital asset recycling, like I was implying earlier on. They're on track to do $1.9 billion in asset sales this year. They commented that the demand, like I said, is there for their asset sale, but deals are taking longer to close because potential buyers have less access to capital. And the, acquired, the two data centers they acquired, one in Europe and one in North America, it actually helps them diversify their data center assets because uh, they had previously previously. previously only had assets in South America, India, and Australia when it came to data centers. So um, overall, I think a really good quarter for Brookfield. Uh, It's one of the reasons I have a big weight in my portfolio for infrastructure through Brookfield is because I think whatever happens with the economy short of a financial collapse, um, which I don't think we'll have, but, you know, I guess it's a non-zero chance. Short of that, I think Brookfield Infrastructure Partner will just be chugging along. I mean, they may have a bit more trouble selling assets like they said, but overall I think the result should be, uh, you know, just steady, steady growing. You know, it's not going to be exciting, but it's just going to be steady as she goes.
0: Yeah, like utilities, transportation, midstream, uh, data infra. These are a lot, a lot of like very steady cash flows. A lot of regulated regulated returns, especially in utilities. You talked about it; the returns being indexed. Like you mentioned, if there's a downturn, that's actually when this business thrives. Uh, they have been very opportunistic. Uh, I'd say the entire Brookfield Mothership has been when they see assets trading at a deep discount. Remember when pipelines were? Oh yeah. No one. Remember when no one liked pipelines? What did they buy Inter Pipeline for? Like a yeah. bag of hockey pucks? Well, they paid a, a premium. Baseball?
1: Yeah, I remember they made an offer, got rejected, then they came back, made a higher offer. But I think they held a pretty substantial yeah you know, stake in them. They already, already had a pretty big stake, yeah. Yeah, and the reality is, like, I don't know if it's going to change. Maybe if we have, you know, a poli- we see political changes in the US or Canada in the next election cycle, that's possible. But right now, it's very hard to build pipelines, extremely hard. And the consumption for whether it's natural gas or whether it's uh, oil in the world, it's not really showing signs of slowing down. And, you know, it will eventually. But... The reality is that you know if the demand stays up there, and a lot of the older pipelines may need to be decommissioned um, or at least have some heavy maintenance work. I think it's a pretty pretty good asset to be holding. So I think it was a pretty smart move by Brookfield. To I mean I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I think it was a smart move for them.
0: I I know pi- the pipeline business less than the utility business um, when it comes to like electricity utility or a water utility. But when they have big CapEx expenditures like that, it goes into their rate case and you actually want to have huge CapEx hits, basically. Uh, And I'm not sure if the pipeline business is the same where it's regulated like that. But like if you have a huge CapEx like upgrade year on your utility, you build that into your rate case and you get paid for it. And so uh, that's a beautiful thing uh, when it comes to the, the utility business. I, just, I don't know if pipelines work like that. I want. I we should we should get a pipeline uh, expert on here on the call.
1: Yeah. No. That's. Uh, I think they have um, somewhat. You know. So I think it's probably varied, uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think they probably have some they're not selling contracts. into like
0: they're not selling into like independent electricity system operators like a. Like a pipeline's not doing that. So, uh, anyways, maybe, uh, maybe some, some research for us to look at and,
1: and mm-hmm. do on the pod. Have a guess. That would be great.
0: <laughs> there you yeah, go. yeah, 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 exactly. Good stuff, Simon. We have some more stuff, but let's leave it for next week. We got, yeah. uh, you know, this, this is always a million. A lot things of to stuff happened
1: in the last like 10 days. Like, I thought I had my I leave notes for one set. Week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had my <laughs> notes set, and literally, I, I was like, oh, I won't have to do too many notes for this one. I ended up like, redoing half of it because there was some really important news that came up
0: well we got more to talk about these news roundups are every single thursday um and and we're here to we're here to hang out with you so come come on hang out if you haven't given the show a five star review we really appreciate that you can do that on spotify by pressing the you know on the home page of the podcast there's a little review i think we have 4.9 stars go ahead and smash a five like at what point does it round back up to 5.0? Like, is that even <laughs> possible? <laughs> like, hey, Spotify, if we have enough fives, will it round up to 5.0? That's what I'm really just dying to know. Uh, there's a lot of reviews there, and the fact that we have that many five four point that we're at five four point nine, that's pretty that's pretty sweet. Um, and if you're on Apple Podcasts, then smash that uh five stars, and then you can also write a little comment. It helps other people find it. pumps that algorithm, you know? We got to pump that algorithm, more people hear the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Brayden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.